1: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from thirty dollars a month to just fifteen dollars a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
0: Forty five dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited, more than forty gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. dot com. The
2: phone is that? This the second time it's gone off.
3: Never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those 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 boys. Said, I want to win the league, but I want to
4: win it better. You can understand
0: that,
3: can't you? Yes. Good lad. So he's almost like having a second captain in the (laughs) team. Second captain, first captain, whatever.
1: Not a great weekend of sport last week, let's be honest, right? We had a gap week in the Six Nations, no Premier League football, even the Kabaddi was subpar by its own high standards. And we didn't even have a Kennedy's FA Cup ghouls report to ease the pain but Murph and Ken hopes are high for this weekend hopes are very very high and two of the major attractions we'll feature on today's podcast England Ireland at Twickenham with Jerry Thorny and Ugo Magna, and Frampton Quig in Manchester I want to talk to Bernard Dunn about that it's a world title unification fight for Frampton the biggest fight of his career and you'd be glad to know there is a war of words developing ahead of that one, Murph.
5: What, these guys straight up don't... Oh, actually, no, I know that these two straight up don't like each other. They've been calling each other out in the media for years on this straight up don't like each other. Nah, you got this
1: one wrong, Murph. It's their trainers and promoters who straight up don't like each other. And they
5: also <laughs> straight up don't like each other. So
1: Joe Gallagher, esteemed trainer, Ring Magazine Trainer of the Year, looks after Quigg, had this to say about the young 27-year-old go-getter Shane McGuigan, son of Barry, of course, and Frampton's trainer. This is a really big fight for Shane, says rival trainer Gallagher. And he's not used to it, so he's been caught up in all the buzz like a lot of trainers get get caught up in. He's been in the sport two minutes. He was just a nutritionist until he found himself in the corner with Carl. And now people are saying he's a rising force in boxing. How can a trainer be a rising force? The rising forces are the likes of Callum Smith and Anthony Joshua, prospects that are coming through. For some reason, Shane wants to be a pin-up boy. And it's quite embarrassing to see, really. <laughs> that, that really is the trainer taking on the role of the yeah, big uh, t- trash-talking boxer, isn't it?
5: Yeah, I mean... Uh, hasn't he trained a world champion though at the age of just whatever it is 27? Yeah the it, one guy I mean, who
1: he's been focused on largely for most of his career he's doing pretty well by Yeah I mean
5: I, I don't know that this is, that he's he's picking on a particular weak point of uh, Shane McGuigan there I don't really I don't really get that Shane McGuigan
1: responds Carl's not taking the bait so they're looking for me to take the bait do they think well that's stupid that I'm going to G Carl up and, g- and g- get him to go and knock him out which is along the lines I think of what Eddie Jones is trying to do by wrecking Ireland's head all week mm. and hmm. hoping that they will Lose their marbles completely and go in there and try to try to stick six tries on them at Twickenham.
5: Yeah. And well, England open hit, themselves up. Yeah, England, England did do that in a World Cup final in 1991, goaded on by the Aussie. So maybe Eddie Jones just remembers that and presumes that you know that's still where Ireland are at in our heads.
1: We're just waiting to talk to Jerry Thorny at the Irish press conference, which gives me time to issue a bonus podcast alert. That's right, that's Eric uh, Patrick, Clark, I was waiting you? for a claxon there. Sorry. Did you bring the claxon, again? I didn't. You forgot the bonus podcast alert, Klaxon.
3: I did. I've done it. I've forgotten it again.
1: <sighs> Even for this bonus podcast, which is a Patrick Clyford interview, has been completed, will be ready soon. We travelled to London on Tuesday to meet the youngest goalscorer ever in the Champions League final, the man who ended the glory years of Irish football in 1995. I had said that interview was going to take place in Dublin, but that was part of a cunning ruse that culminated in a bunch of Patrick Clyford superfans being sent over to London to meet the man himself and attend the Arsenal-Barcelona game. It may even be ready by the time your list is. So do check it out if it's there. I was sitting just a couple of seats away from Patrick Larver. Mm.
3: Oh. What was uh, his, uh, Did he? Did he uh, react to anything? Yeah, quite a lot actually. Really? He seemed
1: to be now. He's about three seats away uh, from me, so I, I couldn't quite. And I was trying to watch the game, so I wasn't just on Clivert Cam. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anytime he seemed to get frustrated when strikers missed chances.
3: Oh no, he was, was he was quite a bit of that.
1: Yeah, but Suarez missed some, Neymar missed some. Well, obviously Arsenal missed a few as well. And they always appeared to have taken the wrong option, according to Patrick's interactions with the fans behind him, which was largely what I was following. But right. he would get annoyed and slump down in his chair, oh. g- genuinely aggrieved that, uh, I suppose this is what you would be like. If you were a great midfielder, you'd be annoyed with guys
3: uh, misplacing passes. You, you don't Patrick have to be up. a great midfielder, Around The <laughs> guy behind me <laughs> was pretty annoyed. Oh, <laughs> Do you remember yeah. that guy? Really? Yeah, yeah. He was uh,
5: like literally torn straight from the pages of... Uh, you know, crude uh, racial stereotyping. This is the, the, the
3: shuntering Londoner,
5: the most Cockney man I've ever heard of yeah. my entire life.
3: Uh, and he was rambling on about how you know, uh, uh, you know, they only look great. Is there only two teams in Spain? You know, coming to in the Prim. And uh, just at that moment, you know, Messi almost slammed one in. <laughs> yeah, you remember it was and yeah, everyone it was, was just uh, like, yeah. I really wish I'd gone in at yeah. that point, you know. Yeah. But uh, it was just like this constant stream of literally everything he said was was a cliche. It was amazing. Yeah. Well
1: that's funny because I what I was struck by was how polite the Arsenal fans were for large parts of the game. They were sure they were booing the referee. They thought the ref had it in for them from quite early on, but Rather than immediately abusing him with expletives, the first chant that rose up besides the booing was "You don't know what you're doing." Yeah, and I, I think I haven't heard that in about twenty-five years. Yeah, I, oh, it's usually the course, the more coarse. The referee's a wanker. Yeah, that's what normally you'd hear. Yeah, well, there so, was. Yeah, there eventually, was the, <laughs> eventually there was a bit of, but it was it was just it was just one of those two syllable chants. Yeah,
3: wanker. that was that was too messy, though. I thought, wasn't it? Oh, <laughs> no, I
1: thought it was to the ref. I thought it was messy. No, oh. I thought it was the ref. Nobody would say that. Really? The, the no one would.
3: Also, That's what I thought was kind of funny about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all of this, all these. Uh,
5: you know, I think there was someone. There, there were members of our party, Irish, football fans, who were laughing at that Cockney gentleman, who were spurring him on. And yeah. I really wanted to turn around, and have a word, and say, "Listen, don't encourage him, right? Because yeah, because he, uh, yeah, cause he it, like, the more he said stuff, the more he got kind of, you know, sort of little snickers into, uh, you know, kind of behind people's uh, hands. Yeah, people just giggling at what he was saying.
3: Did he start? Did he start going a bit andy tate, a bit knowing? Yeah, Fa- you know, fame yeah, is yeah. a mask that eats into the face. Even even fame, in the on the level of. You know, the five dozen people rows within, around, yeah, within earshot <laughs> in yeah. Arsenal's club class. <laughs> <laughs> club class, by the way. Come on, I know I've been to the Emirates, obviously before a few times. Never been in the uh, much wanted corporate sector Ooh, before. Yeah,
1: it's the place to be if you want a well laid out table of free beers at half-time.
3: or tasty hot dogs. Mm. Uh, the beers, yeah, they laid out they laid out all the beers, but. It was a little warm. <laughs> right. I was waiting on, for a complaint.
1: I felt Ken was too enthusiastic about the
3: whole thing. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, they say it's it's a complimentary beer, but you have paid for your ticket. Would you rather... So you paid a lot for your ticket, by the way. I mean, I was with... There was a guy, well, not in our
1: case, as we were working and therefore sent over. But oh, yeah, yeah. You no, but but I mean, guys, yeah.
3: well, and, and I suppose it's the case for a lot of people in this uh, corporate section that, in fact, they're not paying for their own ticket. <laughs> um, but anyone who is is paying plenty. Would you rather a slightly
1: warm beer that's been sitting there and is definitely going to be available and give you a full 15 minutes to drink it, or would you rather the sometimes unsatisfying experience of going to matches in the UK, whereby at half time you wait for slow barmen to get the job done, furnish you with a pint with about a minute to go before a nice cold pint. And then they take it off you. Well, you,
3: or or you unless you
1: can down it in a minute, which is not healthy. I
3: saw that they... Um, they do have, not condone Downing points in a minute. They have a system where you you can kind of you can look out uh, from the, the the sort of corporate section. I, mean, I didn't walk all the way around, but it seems to just go all the way around the stadium and one continuous level. You know, the whole middle tier of mm. the Emirates is like that, and uh, uh, and it's got like a big window all the way around that you can look out onto the field. But then at some point, maybe t- twenty minutes before the game starts. Yep. They put I don't know if it's blind or if they just have some kind of way of... Suddenly, this window becomes opaque, so you can't actually just stand in the bar watching the game, which I guess people must have been doing <laughs> until <laughs> until they put in this thing. No, no, really, seriously, it is time to get into the stadium and support the Do lads. you know who's going
1: to be really... His heart is bleeding for Ken and his warm pint at the moment, Murphy. Go on. That poor fella who... Well, nobody knew that this was going to happen, hence it was, it was, mm. it was a ruse, you know, so nobody's supposed to. Uh, this guy had a driving test booked and yeah. couldn't make it out. So his mate was there, his mate had planned to bring him, had put his name down. The guy had to do his driving test. And, well, ultimately, the worst part of the story is that the driving test was double booked. So, so you, actually... Your man
5: missed out it on really. the trip to London. That guy's listening to this right now,
1: thinking about Ken and his warm
3: pint. So just yeah. it's
0: tough. It's
3: well, tough at, least, at least it was, at least the pints were warm. Let's
1: talk Six Nations.
0: Oh, Tipperary,
2: Tipperary, and Wales are over the line again. Seven minutes gone, and it's gone
4: of Mori field. Sean O'Brien smashing his way it could still be on for England. And England and Ireland are possibly watching this in despair. Cocco says enough is enough. The title is going to Ireland.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty sure the title won't be going to Ireland this year, barring a few strange results, but the team has been named today. Most interestingly, we've got two debutants in a Six Nations match against England at Twickenham, which doesn't happen very often. Van der Fleer at number seven, and uh, who else have we got there? Stuart McCluskey, of course, playing at inside centre. Ulton Dilan also likely to make his first start off the bench. Simon, it's uh, yeah? fairly... That's a fairly exciting lineup, isn't it? Two yeah, teams. well,
2: the three of them, if Ulton Deland comes on, which you assume he would all second rows do for the last 15, 20 minutes these days, they're all explosive athletes, which makes it more exciting. And if you haven't been watching provincial rugby this season, whether you're Irish or not, you won't have seen a whole lot of any of these players because they've all essentially made their breakthrough this season um, and not necessarily even played all the big games. So England defence coaches, England video coaches won't have a whole lot to go on which these days is quite a significant bonus for those first two three games you play, assuming you're a good player. Uh, They've nothing to go on, and it's such fine margins, such tiny details that players work off. Um, that could be a little bonus for well, us. Well, Jerry
1: Thornley is ready to go now. Jerry, this is as experimental a lineup as Schmidt has named, really, in Six Nations. Anyway, in Six Nations games, has he been forced into taking these risks rather than wanting to?
0: To a degree, yes. I mean, as as in the World Cup, there's been a post-French carnage. Jarrett Payne, Dave Kearney, Mike McCarthy and Sean O'Brien all have actually ruled out. So you could say four of the five changes have been enforced to degree. That being said, he could have gone with, say, Luke Marshall midfield alongside Robbie Henshaw. He could have gone back to Keith Earls, as he did in the World Cup against Argentina. But he's decided to go with Stuart McCloskey, partly because McCloskey ran there last week, also because of his form and what he potentially gives at midfield. Um, Mike Ross has an option to strengthen the scrum, which needs strengthening. Um, and so, yeah, he's gone. Josh Flander-Flyer ahead of Tommy O'Donnell. Um, I think it certainly gives Ireland a really strong back road to break down. They're all good poachers. CJ Standard, Jamie Heath and Josh flander Flair. Uh, he brings physicality and a really huge work rate in defence, an excellent defence of open sides. So, yeah, he's, he, I think the fact that Ireland are out of contention for the 6-9 title, more or less, has given him elbow room that he hasn't had in the previous two campaigns.
1: It's interesting that Van der Flyer is, is picked to start here and has been in the camp when the big hype around Ringrose seemed to, um, well, certainly seemed to be ignored by Joe Schmidt and yet they both have reasonably similar levels of experience here. Is there any particular reason you think that Van der Fleer is ready to start a game like this and Ringrose never quite got a look in this time around?
0: Well, I think Ringrose has only started one or the two Champions Cup games. That's all. Van der Fleer has started, I think, is it fourteen games a season for Leinster, so he's had a bigger body of work, including the Champions Cup. So I think he is more primed in that sense. Um and obviously he goes with Robbie Henshaw thirteen. Well, granted he's been playing twelve and it's, as Joe Schmidt said today at the press conference, no secret that outside centre is perhaps the most difficult position in the pitch to defend from um which made Payne's astonishing effort in one leg and Paris all the more praiseworthy. So it's a big ask, but it would have been an even bigger ask, arguably, if Gary Ringrose to go to Twicken and make his debut. Um, Henshaw slips across to 13. He'll have learned from pain, as Joe said at the press conference today. You've you'd learned a lot in the last two years from working inside him. It's a big ask, but it it makes it's less of a gamble than obviously going Gary Ringrose there.
1: Yeah, McCluskey. Yeah, I suppose he wouldn't have gambled on that right now but maybe uh, if he had Ring Rose slightly more involved over the
0: last few weeks but uh, I suppose that's not not McCloskey had a lot of form with Ulster in the Champions Cup he nailed down that position he played there all season he's gone very well against Saracens which is perhaps a factor in his selection as well And, and he's gone really well for Ulster in the Champions Cup this season and I think that makes again makes him far more ready for this. He's a big physical lad, anyway. Certainly, it must be the biggest midfield the assembling in quite some time
1: <laughs> Yeah, it is nice to have some some big lads there. i you know, I think we all accepted Darcy and O'Driscoll's abilities over the years, but it will be interesting to see a couple of bruisers there. And I mean, this is interesting because a lot of people, Gordon Darcy included, this week in the Irish Times uh, would love to see Henshaw 13 longer term, and actually would feel that this might be. Uh, might be the way to go with McCluskey at 12 and Henshaw 13. Are you excited by this prospect?
0: Ah, yeah, it's an exciting, it is an exciting team. That selection is very exciting. It, it could be there for many years to come with a bit of luck, you know. Um, it could be the beginning of something special. Um, it's a, they're certainly being thrown in at the deep end. I thought England, there hasn't been much in the way of fluent attacking back play this season, Six Nations, but what there have been, mostly came from England and Rome last time out. Jonathan Joseph with his hat-trick, He's got fantastic footwork, the way they've been Mike Brown to line. They're certainly going to get tested defensively, um, more so than I would imagine uh, Wales even, or France would have done up until now.
1: Ulton Delan makes the bench, another, mm. uh, another young player who a lot is expected of, and another, I suppose you describe him as an explosive sort of a player. Keane Healy's on the bench as well, so there's, uh, there are a few exciting options there.
0: Yeah, there are, and, it, you know, let's be honest about it, in all this debate about how Ireland have gone, it's been a draw on a one-point defeat, both of which can probably be attributed to the Irish scrum suffering at key junctures in both games and conceding tries off them but for that Ireland could well be sitting with four points out of four so you've got Mike Ross coming back in making White on the bench and you've got Keane Healy back in the bench it is a much stronger scrummaging unit but we know from history and Ireland's last few visits to it will need to be because they're going to get tested in the scrum in a major way.
1: Jerry Eddie Jones threw in a couple of mild bombs I guess during the week uh, talking comparisons with Stoke City and this kind of stuff but I think what he said with Sexton maybe might hit home a little bit more, might hit a nerve. Sexton's an interesting one, said Jones. They've talked about him having whiplash injury, which is not a great thing to talk about. I'm sure his mother and father will be worried about that. Hopefully the lad's are right on Saturday to play. Uh, what uh, What do you make of this, and was this put to Joe Schmidt in any meaningful way?
0: Yeah, and he, he kind of said that they're not going to be um, affected by extraneous issues, and it doesn't really affect them. It's more for us in the media. I think Eddie Jones has been in, at his cheekiest here. Whatever about... Tributing Ireland for sixty percent kicking of possession or seventy percent when the truth is actually twenty five percent, which is less than England, but don't let the facts get in the way of a good yarn. Um, pretty really Lee doesn't keep abreast of footballs. I say Mark Hughes and Stoke City be pretty cheesed off with the comparison to the way their game has evolved. Um but uh yeah, I think this really went over the top. I don't think he, any business bringing Johnny Sexton and his parents into it like this. Hardy Day goes by now. you can open up a newspaper or go online or listen to a radio station without Johnny Saxon being talked about. Never in the history of rugby, I think, has, some, has one player been given so much advice about how he should be protecting himself on the pitch and how he should be playing or, or not playing, in case one funded. It. And it's uh, it's worrying, It must be very worrying for him. And I'm sure his parents are fed up about listening to all the comments from Eddie Jones and many other people.
1: Yeah, it's interesting uh, what the exact logic of trying to of saying this would be on Jones's part and maybe it's pointless even speculating on that but he's clearly saying these things for a reason and he maybe wants to get into the head of the the head of the Irish management team and of Sexton himself Schmidt himself as you were saying said well listen we're not going to distract ourselves with this kind of thing any minutes we take up We'll take a, a, worrying a, uh, about this kind of an issue will take away from what we're actually trying to think about, which is getting a plan in place for this game. Would you think that that would be the thinking of coaches? I, you know, Gatlin has said a few things over the years, and Eddie Jones says this today, that they just really want the opposition coach and main players to have to, even for 10 minutes, think or feel something uh, about something that's outside of the game.
0: Yeah, trying to goad them into playing more of a running game or something, or maybe it's a respect for their kicking game because Ireland's kicking game is so good and they do get such a generally good return. But, out but, but of
1: this it. specific one about sex and the injuries, which is a more of a personalised sort of a jab, is it just a case that coaches want the uh, the opposition to to actually have to answer questions in press conferences about it or to think about it in some way, therefore dissipating their energies?
0: I don't know. wasn't there. Can't be, really be sure what Eddie Jones' motivation was for saying those comments about Johnny today. Um, other than he seems to be trying to wind Ireland up as Gat- Warren Gatland has noticed he said, Eddie Jones has done a great job of trying to wind Ireland up this week and last week Name is just, just a general kind of wind up and we're reading too much into it um, I don't think it'll affect Johnny Sexton in any way shape or form um, or, or Ireland I think they can pretty much last us off the one good thing they've had is a two week build up to this game so I think you'll see despite the changes um, a better prepared Irish side than would have been the case going into the French game um, and they'll need to be because uh, the first 10, 15, 20 minutes can very often decide a match in Twickenham and as Ireland have learnt their cost mostly in the last warm-up game in August so or September so I think they've got to start really well and I think the encouraging thing from Ireland's point of view is that Certainly against Wales, Johnny Sexton looked to have his mojo back. Um, his running game, his passing game, kicking game, tackling game, all. And, you know, he, he's, a, he's a very good, effective tackler. He's, I think he's got 22 tackles in the Six Nations in the two games to date, which is more than twice any other out half in the tournament. So they'll come down his channel again and he'll be up for the challenge as usual.
1: Yeah, unfortunately there is a, <laughs> the issue of whether or not it's good to have to make all those tackles as your are out-half, but we'll see what happens on Saturday. What about the game itself? Are you confident?
0: Um... And Compton and Ireland will be well prepared. Um, their scrum will be stronger. They'll compete hard at the back row. They'll have a few plays. If they make a good start, I think they'll be very competitive over 80 minutes. But you'd have to think that England, coming back to Twicken for the first time since the World Cup, on the back of two-way wins, still seeing the feel-good effects of a new coach, and new coaching regime. I mean, you've got not just Eddie Jones, but Steve Bortwick, any... any forward line coach that can make the Japanese lineup up more a weapon against the Springboks um, has to be respected and you'd have to think that they're a much more settled team even not just over the last three games these three games this season but it's not dissimilar similar line-up to what they've had in the last couple of years against Ireland so for all those reasons and not least home advantage you'd have to say England are very strong favourites Alright,
1: listen Jerry, brilliant stuff thanks mate. Cheers, thanks Yeah, Jerry is indeed correct Ken about Stoke City not being too happy being dragged into this uh, mm. build-up to Ireland, and England. What have they had to say?
3: Well, Eddie Jones is a football fan. Mm-hmm. He went to study Guardiola um, when he was the manager of Japan. Uh, he tra- when when Eddie Jones was the coach of Japan, that is, uh, to to try and uh, study some of the you know movements and ways in which they created space and all this kind of stuff. And he's talked about that before. Stoke City, maybe at the other end of the. Footballing spectrum, and evidently not the kind that uh, Eddie Jones likes, uh, because he keeps bringing them up. And it's not just in relation to Ireland; uh, he also talked about it in relation to England when he took over as the England manager, saying, "Oh, you know, we're not going to we're not going to be like Stoke City, you know, one of those kind of conservative teams that doesn't want to take any risks and you know just boost the ball away," um, which previously really annoyed um, <laughs> Tony Bulis. Uh I don't know why Tony Pulis gets annoyed about this kind of stuff, because Eddie Jones has managed to very accurately identify what Tony Pulis' teams are about. And if Tony Pulis was being honest, he should say, well, okay, fair enough. Thanks for watching us play, Eddie, and for forming such a keen, or for getting such a keen grasp of what we're all about. But he said at the time, I don't know Eddie Jones from Adam. He seems to know his stuff about rugby, thank God for England, but if you look back to the year we got promoted, Stoke had the 13th lowest wage bill in the championship, so we overachieved. And then we were absolute favourites to get relegated for about four seasons, but we stayed in the league for six seasons on a very tight budget. Got to an FA Cup final, we didn't do too bad. None of that really addresses the specific criticism. I mean, it's not as though Eddie Jones said Tony Pugh did a bad job, he just said this is his teams play very conservative football, they don't really want the ball. Uh, Tony Peters said, "We signed players like Begovic, Shawcross, Mark Wilson, Glenn Whelan, Jonathan Walters. Do you want me to carry on? Uh,
1: Again, a lot of the players he named there are very good professionals, very tough players, but mm, not necessarily diluting or opposing what uh, what Jones had said.
3: No, uh, I think Jones is right, and that's the that's the reason that Tony Peters no longer works for Stoke. Uh, Stoke got angry, was, you know they they." Wenger also compared them to a rugby team. They used to sing Swing Low, Sweet Chariot when they beat Arsenal It was funny. But they didn't really like that. Nobody really likes. No, sure. Ryan, Ryan
1: Shawcross took to the match program to have a go. Yeah. Yeah. Stick to what you know, he said, apparently, to Eddie Jones. <whistles> so uh, they really uh, have got to be in their bonnet about. Yeah.
3: Well, yeah I mean, they, they did because they, you know, they, they eventually got rid of PewDiePie because they got sick of being, you know, become this byword for this kind of brutish uh, and boring style of play. Mm. You know, Pewdiepie thought it was effective. I don't know if it was really that effective, but ultimately Stoke got tired of it and didn't want to be associated with it anymore. Now, I mean, they're obviously kind of trying to go to a different uh, style of play, but it looks as though it's going to take a while for label to, to sort of peel off
1: Well let's talk about England now with former English and Lions winger Hugo uh, Manya, who you will see now on TV on BT Sport and on ITV during the Six Nations. Hugo I know you've been with the England camp this week. It is their first home game in competition and first under Eddie Jones at Twickenham. Uh, I'm assuming the mood is pretty buoyant after a couple of wins so far?
4: Yeah and understandably so. I guess they're two from 2 have Hadn't conceded that a try so they're confident that the coaches have come together and in quick time, I guess the other thing is that they're winning games about necessarily performing to the high standards and levels which Eddie Jones has kind of set, which is always a fair indication that you've got a way to improve and, uh, the aura about the place is remarkably different to how it used to be and I guess that's what happens when you, when anyone new comes into any camp. So, um, yeah, they're a confident side and I guess the proof is in the print out the minute they're winning. So, uh, yeah, w- uh, of course it's different and, uh, yeah, seems to be happy.
1: Yeah, his interactions with the media and through the media are interesting. Certainly uh, a couple of jibes, I think, at... Um at Ireland in the last few days, he's brought up this Stoke City comparison. The, I think he has a preface by saying the way Stoke City used to play. This is certainly the uh, what we're hearing anyway. This idea that Ireland just kick possession away sixty percent of the time. He says, "Is this part of a grand media strategy, or does he just like to keep himself amused?" Do you think?
4: I think it's a bit of both. Um, he doesn't say any, um, anything carelessly. It's um, all well thought out. He's a very intelligent guy. He knows how to push people's buttons. Um, you know, he's he made comments about Scotland and Italy. Uh, he said to the Italians he wanted to give the Italians a good hygiene. um, You know, I guess words are just words unless they're actually backed up. And currently the players are backing up every challenge which he's put down. Um, he is a big football fan um, to compare Ireland to Stoke. I think it's pretty harsh mind you but, you know, um, and I don't think the Irish guys need any more motivation. I mean they're you know, currently no wins within the Six Nations after being back to back Six Nations uh, winners. Um, they probably don't need an extra bit of motivation or encouragement to come to England and to come to Twickenham. I mean, the last time England played there they got knocked out of the World Cup, so it'd be interesting to see how, you know, the reception, the anticipation, the excitement and um, the nervous energy which which no doubt will be there for the early exchanges uh, of the match. But I guess the challenge is now is get the players to back up his words.
1: Maro Otoji is the big news from the England camp. He's starting in the second row in only a second cap. But this is a, a guy's been talked about for quite a while now, a prospect compared to Paul O'Connell, Martin Johnson. Take your pick. Uh, this guy's meant to be the coming force in the second row. Uh, are you enthused by this selection?
4: Yeah I am I really am um, I mean Eddie Jones has been I mean it, it sounds funny he's the second captain he's starting in a huge game that you know I think we, we've probably held him back a little bit and I think that's probably you know I think he's developed a, a, an anger inside him and a hunger and an appreciation of what it is to be an international rugby player which clearly is still learning but He's an incredibly physical specimen, and um, both sides of the ball defensively he's huge. Um, his work rate is unbelievable, so you see him to be prominent in the last twenty minutes of any game when most people's fitness are waning. I guess you know, at the young age of twenty-one, you expect him to still be able to mix it with the big boys. But you know, in attack as well, he's a, he's a big ball carrier and he's really athletic in the lineup. so he does have all the physical attributes to be an international rugby player and a top one at that. But, you know, he's going to be under the microscope today at Twickenham. Um, Devin Toner, you know, he's been around the block. He's a a pretty sizable character himself. So no one's going to be giving him an easy ride, and I'm not expecting that at the weekend. But what we do have, and I do believe is, is a special talent, um, but, you know, regardless of whether he has a good game or a bad game, it's not going to be the making or breaking of this guy this weekend, but it's going to be another step in his edu- rugby education. And uh, like I said, the Irish, they're, they're, they're a wily old bunch, and uh, they're, they're, they're very experienced, and he will be tested. But I'm excited to watch this guy play. I've played against him. I've commentated on him and I have watched him play in many, many matches, and uh, no doubt he'll, uh, he'll put in another big shift this weekend.
1: Okay. Quick prediction, Hugo, England to win?
4: Yeah, uh, naturally, you know that's that's my head and my heart speaking. I think you know, and um, the belief instilled within Eddie Jones and the way in which the guys have been training. Um, yeah, I'm. I, I've got a, I've got a, a quite quite confidence that they'll do a job. But equally, you can't you can't write off this Irish team. Um, you really can't. And um, so much is spoken about the injuries and form. Well, I remember the last time we had. Um, I had a conversation with people about an, an international side coming to. Twickenham with, you know, a load of players missing, no real form, and next thing you know, England lost, and that was England Wales during during the World Cup. So, uh, <laughs> you know, um, I'm not going to be foolish enough to say that, you know, Islander Islander battered and bruised. I mean, it's the question of are they, you know, are they match are they match worn or match match beaten? And uh, at the moment, I think I think they've had a couple of tough fixtures um, and. Uh, they'll be quietly confident they can come and score the party But uh, of course I'll be going for England
1: Hugo Mania, listen, enjoy the game, great to talk to you, thanks
4: Emil Lovely, cheers then what are, you, what are you saying? You're just a
3: phony man, this is just
6: for act. I admit I don't look like the athlete of the day supposed to look This ain't, wrestling.
0: This ain't the WWE baby My belly's just a little big My hand is just a little big This is just an act that you're doing, you should be an actor But brother, I am bad and they know I'm bad
1: I'll never do that. There
0: were two bad people.
4: One was John Wayne, later, he's dead, brother, and the other was right You can run around like you a preacher and all that you want, but, baby, I promise you, I will baptize you. You can't teach that.
1: All right, so I mean, we started by talking about the Irish debutante. So let's just take it back to those two Those two guys. We are still learning, I guess, a bit about the background of Vander Fleer and McCluskey.
2: Yeah, well, McCluskey. And we know him now as this uh, huge guy with twinkling feet and good skills uh, for Ulster. He actually was keener on football uh, when he was younger. He grew up in Bangor in County Down. Then he went to Queen's and somebody convinced him to come back and play for Dungannon. And he kind of got interested again. And then very quickly he got spotted by Ulster scouts. But he was you know, heading towards being 20 at that stage, which is very late to start taking rugby seriously. But then the second he took it seriously... He rose through the ranks and was almost immediately in the Ulster setup. And then, as soon as he got a chance, like Ulster had so many centres over the years ahead of him. But as soon as he got his chance at every level, he rose really quickly. And one similarity between himself and Van der Flier is they were both really small uh, when they were younger at school level, and both played scrum half up to like I think 15, 16 years of age which I think is sometimes a good sign for a rugby player that they've had to rely on their skills, their timing, other aspects of their game, as opposed to being a giant when you're young, and that always being your strength. I really can't picture that, though. You you know, though, Driscoll, when he talks about being a scrum half
1: and being tiny as a kid, you can picture because even when he first came along with the Iron team, he looked slight and stuff, and he bulked up over the years, but he was never a huge guy and never a, a... tall player particularly yeah. but with those two for
2: some reason I can't imagine either of them being nippy little scrum- yeah, And they're both as. sort of specialists I mean van der Fleer I think will always be a 7 we haven't picked a specialist 7 actually in quite a long time um, but he, he's never really going to play 6 or 8 um, McCloskey probably wouldn't even play 13 so you know considering they, they've played in very different positions where they are now is very different from where they started
1: The Irish Times Second Camps Football Podcast is ready for you to enjoy
2: That's... Yeah, they have asked
6: for that, really. Well
3: yeah, you can laugh. To walk up.
6: I'm a little bit of an idealist,
4: but having said that, I want to be like me. You
3: well, don't know what you're talking about.
4: What well, did you know? like it. oh, I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to you, thanks. i say it to you now. I'm down to one and we'll see them with what you're doing down here. you're me, man.
3: Well, it is election day tomorrow won't FIFA election day. <laughs> That's as, right. Uh, The world's uh, football associations go to the polls to elect their new leader. Uh, So we talked to Gabriel Marcotti about that. He's over in Zurich. We talked also to Terry Daly about Antonio Conte, who is likely to be the next Chelsea manager. It seems currently the manager, of course, so we'll ask Terry if he thinks he's the right man for that. And look out also for our interview with Patrick Clybert, which will be out today. Maybe it already is, Mm. uh, which was uh, obviously done on Tuesday before the game. The Barcelona. Mm, Barcelona, 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 <laughs> Arsenal.
5: the Barcelona game. Well, that's exactly how I stumbled upon
1: podcast, which uh, yeah. is what we're calling that one. The, the yeah. podcast will be out, uh, will be out for you very soon. So enjoy that one on Saturday night in Manchester. Carl Frampton puts his IBF world super bantamweight title on the line against Scott Quigg's WBA version of the belt. Now this fight is four years in the making. They've been, I think, what they call in the trade, acrimonious negotiations between the two camps to the point that Barry McWiggan. Frampton's trainer walked away from it entirely and just said to his sons Jake and Blaine who work with him listen you you get this done you deal with Eddie Hearn and we'll get it over the line so it's finally happening and Bernard Dunn, I'm sure is looking forward to it Bernard is it maybe better for all concerned that this fight is happening now that they're both world champions?
6: Uh, I think it'd have been very premature if it happened before this point uh you know it's um it makes it makes much more sense from a business point of view and and from a selling point of view, to the to the public, that there's two war titles in the line rather than just two guys fighting each other.
1: What about from the boxer's point of view when this when an, another opponent like Quig is hanging over you to a certain extent for a few years? Does that does it? Is there a danger that you start putting making this guy putting this guy on a pedestal or or having him uh, hover no, over you? It your team gives
6: you that extra edge. It gives you that extra right. edge. It makes him a bigger opponent. It makes him a bigger challenge, and it, it, it's something that you that you sleep and you, you, you dream about, you know, it's, it'd be constantly on their minds now to, to demonstrate, you know, who who the better guy is.
1: That must be a slightly weird state of mind to have to get into uh, in the weeks, in the months leading up to a fight. As
6: a boxer, you know, you, you, you like, you know, and especially at that level, you you tend to start to really focus. Like these guys have, you know, left their families. They're, there's nothing on their mind other than this fight for the last, I suppose, 12 weeks for 24 hours a day.
1: Yeah, that's uh, something actually that Frampton was talking about in the lead up to this one that uh, I think it gets harder and harder he's he's got kids and you know he's he's having to miss a lot of their birthdays uh, and all this kinda of thing. Uh,
6: that's a challenge in itself and that's but it's a choice that he makes for the for the I suppose the betterment of his career. Um, and he knows he's doing it for a reason. He's not just doing it, you know, for the sake of doing it, he's doing because he wants to get the best out of himself and and perform to the standard that he knows he can.
1: The build-up to this fight has been notable by the absence of any hostility between the two fighters, but all of it is coming from both the camps. Uh, Eddie Hearn's been having a bit of a pop at Barry McGuigan, and more to the point, Joe Gallagher, he's Quigg's trainer, talking about Shane McGuigan, who trains Frampton, obviously. He says he's been in the sport two minutes. He was just a nutritionist until he found himself in the corner with Carl, and now people are saying he's a rising force in boxing. For some reason, Shane wants to be a pin-up boy. It's quite embarrassing to see. Uh, this is fairly unusual between trainers, or is it?
6: It is, you know, what I've seen it once or twice in the states with like some Mayweather and, and even Freddie Roach, you know, kind of having a, you know, a pop each other. But you know, it, it's not in Joe's really nature. I, I, I've never seen this kind of before from him. Um, and there's obviously they, they've irked each other in some way, and they're having a bit of a pop. But but ultimately it comes down to the two guys getting into the ring, and and Fanton and Quigg will put those things aside and, and get down to business Saturday night and it's a, it's a fight that I can't wait to see because I think it's as much as everybody keeps saying that Carl's going to win you know, and it's going to be a handy fight and I, I I think Carl will win but I think Quay can make it awkward I think Quay can really put pressure on her. I think it, with the right mindset and, and this is where the coaches are going to come in this is where Joe and, and Shane are going to play a part I think Joe's gonna have a, a big job of making sure that Quig stays patient and doesn't lose focus in in a sense that I think Carl is going to win the first two, three rounds handy just by boxing, moving and picking his shots gonna be nice and fresh. And Quig has got got to keep his patience and and, and and stay focused on the job that he will get close enough and when he does get close enough to, to unleash what he has.
1: Well, does Gallagher have a point about Shane McGuigan that he hasn't been in the game that long? That Frampton's been his, his one notable fighter so far. How good a trainer is Shane McGuigan? Do we know yet?
6: Look, well, here, it's, it's a fact that Shane hasn't been in the game that long, so that that's that's a, that's a, that's clear. But you know what he has done is he's he's made a world champion. You know, and, and there aren't too many coaches out there who can say they've trained world champions. Yeah. You know, so is he any good? Well, he's got a world champion.
1: What uh, in terms of. Uh, there was talk after the being knocked down a couple of times in, in the first round against Gonzalez last year that Frampton was struggling to make the weight at this point, but he's still there. He's, he's still fighting at this weight. Is there an, Was there enough time to get the nutrition and everything right that he should be coming into this in peak form? I, I always worry a little bit when you hear the fighters are struggling to uh, make these weight. These
6: things, though, seem to come out from his own camp. Mm. You know, they're you know he's struggling with weight, and you know, we're going to featherweight and and whatnot, and and here we are, and he's still fighting a supermantan weight. Um, you know the the fight in the States against Gonzalez I, you know, I, was, I I think Kyle may have been distracted by the fact that he was trying to impress an American audience rather than focusing on his opponent and they may have taken the opponent for granted the first knockdown does nothing in at the second knockdown yeah okay he was hurt but you know he showed great resilience and and, and was able to change tact throughout the fight and, and, and that's 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 a positive that I'd be taking from it you know I wouldn't be looking at the negative of, like, yeah. of twice I'd be looking at the positive of okay I was able to reset I was able to change my, my tactics and I was able to win the fight and ultimately he did win the fight and that's the only thing that people will really remember that is you he's, know, when, yeah he seems very <laughs> good won.
1: yeah and he's, he, he does seem to be very adaptable in the ring That's you've hinted at this earlier on that, that that's going to be key this time whatever happens in the first few rounds Frampton should be able to adapt to what's going to be an awkward challenge
6: I'll tell you the big thing, and again, I'll go back to it. I think the big thing is patience. You know, for Quig, for quick to win this fight, he's got to be patient and he's got to not lose focus. Because I think he, if, if he doesn't stay patient, you know, he sees, that oh, jeez, I'm two rounds behind him, I'm three rounds behind him. Because I think he will go behind very early. Um, I think if he loses focus and tries to jump in, tries to really connect and tries to nail big shots, I think Carl will, will just take him apart. Mm. But if he is patient and gets in close and then walks the body when he does get close... And it gets to a lot of stages six seven eight nine and he's still in the fight. Well, I think he's got a great chance.
1: Yeah, he's a huge deal, obviously, particularly in Northern Ireland, and he's gotten everybody behind him up there. Uh, maybe it's been a bit slower down here for people to to really kind of jump on the bandwagon. Do you think this is going to be the fight that if he wins this, everybody will start to know what Frampton's all about?
6: Yeah, I think for Carl, a lot like, you know, being double world champion will launch him onto a you know, really a global stage. Whereas, you know, with Quigg, it'll just really launch him. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a huge difference in so popularity for both fighters. Carl, Carl is well known in, the, in these parts and, um, and would be known somewhat in England as well, um, with the little bit he did in the States. But Quig, really outside of boxing circles, you know, he's relatively unknown. Um, so, like, for Quigg, this is his chance to really. I suppose get the attention that you know. I suppose being a world champion deserves.
1: Sounds like you are going for Frampton to win a tricky fight in the this within the distance. I think have to
6: win some points. Okay. I, I think Frampton wins some points. I think I think Quick has a great engine. You know, I think he's he's got great heart and he's he's powerful, which he has shown in not just the Kiko fight, but in a couple of other fights. There, he can he is a one point knockout guy. He can drop guys flat with one shot. Well, I just think he lacks in boxing ability. I think he lacks in movement. I think Carl has all those skill sets in in, in in his armory and I just I I I see it so hard for Quick to win. I do all sense tells you that it's going to carve. Be
1: Bernard listen, enjoy the fight. Thanks a million.
6: Good
4: man. Slot. Oh there's blackjack and poker and the room wheel. A
0: fortune won and lost on every deal. All you need is strong heart and a new steel. Beaver
3: Thanks a lot, Pepe.
1: Yeah, it's kind of interesting that the promotional side of this fight is what's taken over a lot of the build-up, certainly from the articles I've been reading and talking to Bernard there. I suppose it's always the case. Other than that, it's it's previewing and it's uh, nobody knows exactly what's going to happen, but it's easier to latch on to stuff that people are saying about each other. And in the case of McGuigan, it's a really weird setup that they've ended up with. McGuigan's son, Jake, who agreed the deal with Eddie Hearn, described it as a completely two sided promotion. He says, if I want to book a flight for the show, I have to okay that with Hearn. And if he wants to book a flight, he has to okay that with me. Literally write down if you want to book a taxi, it's like that. It's complicated, but it had to be done that way. (laughs) It sounds like an absolute nightmare from an organizational point of view to be perfectly honest with you. But uh, the fight's happening. So who cares about how it all got set up at this stage? And it's happening around... about uh, quarter to eleven, I think the ring walk is expected. Karen?
5: Uh yeah, and you can get on Sky Sports via your remote if you're a Sky customer, and if you're a Virgin Media customer, then uh, all the information is on VirginMedia.ie, but uh, it's channel eight sixty two. So pay per view, pay per view, yeah. yeah, all the way. Um, and there's an undercard, uh, from yeah, so there undercard featuring Ryan Burnett. Uh, Charlie Edwards versus Luke Wilton If you're a big Wilton fan, as I am mm-hmm. um, Never miss a Luke Wilton fight So you can tune in for that one
1: So far we've had trash talk from Eddie Jones Trash talk from Scott Quigg's trainer What about the king of this genre of self-promotion, Ken? Conor McGregor, he's had a busy <laughs> week
3: Yeah, Conor McGregor uh, is fighting next week uh, Next weekend Saturday, Against some you know, guy Against Nate Diaz Now he was meant to be fighting against uh, Rafael Dos the UFC The is the only sports organization, as far as I can make out in the world, that uh, correctly pronounces Brazilian names. No. <laughs> I haven't ever seen anyone else do it. But uh, Dos Anjos then broke his foot. So suddenly they're casting around for uh, a replacement to come in at short notice, as, as happened, obviously, with the uh, José Aldo, the original Jose Aldo fight uh, last uh, June, July. So. Um, they eventually, they settle on old Nate Diaz. He agrees to take the fight at, at short notice. I mean, made sure to mention in his press conference, just say, you know, I haven't had a camp. Um, <laughs> and, okay, so Conor McGregor has a problem now. It's like, hmm, my fight, the, the original fight against the, the, so this is for the lightweight belt. You know, he's, he's the featherweight champion. McGregor's the featherweight champion. This is for a lightweight belt, the weight class above. This fight is now off, and I'm now fighting uh, a kind of a non-event fight against a guy who doesn't hold any belt. So, uh, this really isn't that interesting a fight in a, in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, so what does McGregor have to do?
1: He has to whip up some, the monkey has to dance,
3: the monkey dances and the monkey danced, uh, in big style. This was, I mean, McGregor is in this situation where his, uh, you know, from, from the business point of view, it's always interesting to, to look at what he's trying to do. Uh, and he's more and more and more sort of, I'm taking over the company. I am the company. You know, uh, they're kind of producing it in association with me, um, trying to get a bigger and bigger share of the revenue. But of course, um, uh, as long as his pay-per-view uh, buys remain strong or, you know, keep increasing, it vastly increases his um, his bargaining power against them. Whereas if suddenly... Um, you know, his numbers fall off from the last time. If suddenly people say, oh, Conor McGregor against, you know, this, it was meant to be a fight for belt and now it's against this guy, Nate Diaz, you know, do I really want to pay to see this? And suddenly it falls off a bit. Um, that's, you know, that obviously weakens the position. What he wants to do really is get into that kind of Ronda Rousey uh, territory where it didn't matter who was fighting. As long as it was one of her fights, people were buying it in huge numbers. Maybe he's got to that stage now. I mean, this will kind of be the proof to the putting of that because really, it's not that significant a fight. But McGregor, obviously, yesterday was in, uh, was very keen to
1: antagonize.
3: Yeah, just to put on a show, just to put on a show. And he put on a very big show. Had a few, had a few usual zingers. Meanwhile, Nate Diaz, who you know, he, he didn't he didn't strike you uh, as he sat there at the press conference as necessarily the most together guy you know like you know if if you were you know sometimes it said his mind was like a steel trap you mm. wouldn't necessarily say you know like that guy Nate Diaz you know it wouldn't <laughs> wouldn't necessarily follow you know what i mean but he you know he was just there going uh yeah you know uh, you're on steroids man and McGregor was like what well, you know how dare you, uh, he said, no, you're on steroids. The whole, the whole UFC is on steroids. You're on, you're on steroids. And Gregor got, you know, angry. He said, oh, don't you, don't you link me with steroids? I'm, uh, I'm totally against that, you know? And, uh, th- this kind of thing was going on. I mean, it was bizarre. It was kind of like, <laughs> can, can he just, can he say that? Is anyone going to ask him? Is anyone <laughs> gonna your ask evidence? Him what do you mean? You know, it was, it was a bizarre thing to see, but, um, yeah, I mean, entertaining he, enough.
1: He was also, McGregor the, is the Sports Illustrated cover story this week. John Wartime, formerly largely involved with tennis writing. A guy we've talked to a good few times over the years. I think is a senior writer there now at, at Sports Illustrated. And he got the gig to fly over to Dublin to the straight blast gym to interview McGregor. A day, McGregor eventually turned up a day later. <laughs> to uh,
3: yeah, look, you know, McGregor is a busy man. He can't necessarily turn up on time for every appointment. I mean, he was late for a for a UFC press conference recently, you know, which was <laughs> which was pretty impressive. Um, but uh, the the Sports Illustrated article, and he's the cover star, mm. uh, says, you know, Conor McGregor, unfiltered, get inside the mind of Conor McGregor in his home turf in Dublin, Ireland. And it uh, the first line of it says, "Waiting for Cooner McGregor, are ye?" <laughs> and what's that all of it? I think that's. That's a rendition of, of the accent of whoever it was. It's posed not as a question, but as a knowing assertion on this relentlessly grey February day. The folks in and around the straight-blast gym, a charm-deprived fight club and a charm-deprived mini-mall and a charm-deprived exurb of Dublin, uh, dot, dot, dot. No, that Conor McGregor doesn't necessarily turn up in time for all his appointments. Cooner McGregor. Now, I don't know what John Wertheim is hearing, how he's, how he's hearing that, or how yeah. you get that from those letters. I can imagine how it sounded, and that's not how I would have spelled it. Mm. But I suppose that, that these are the risks you take when you venture into the phonetic spelling game.
1: You, you, feel, you felt this was more of a, maybe a Scottish looking I,
3: it, That's what struck me when I was reading mm. it first. I thought, Conor McGregor's in Scotland? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Conor McGregor is in Darby O'Gill and the Little People. <laughs> yeah,
5: answer me these questions three, and <laughs> yeah. then uh, you'll he, be able to speak to Conor. McGregor. He looks
3: around and there's and there's like three tiny little fellas playing a massive harp, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and, and just dancing and riding around on white horses, you know, six inches tall. This is this is the scene that greets the Sports Illustrated rider, at, at straight blast, Jim. I should just mention we right. haven't actually mentioned that he is he's fighting at welterweight now. This is remarkable, really, because, okay, to his pre- so his, his previous belt is won at one at uh, 145 pounds, you know, a little over 10 stone. He's got to get down to that weight. That was what was difficult for him, these weight cuts. This one is 170, so 25 pounds over the last fight, which, remember, was only three months ago. Now, that is a lot closer to his kind of natural weight, so it'll obviously be an easier weight cut, but it's a, it's a huge jump in terms of the size of your opponent, really. Um I mean, this is the first time he's fought a guy who is a lot bigger than him. Uh, he's already been talking about how the guy is soft and slow and dozy and whatever. Mm. He's, as, as, as ever, seems very confident. But it is a very big uh, step up in size. I mean, if the guy was in absolute peak condition, it would be a dangerous fight. But as he said himself, he hasn't had a camp, so.
1: Time is running out for you to avail of our insanely generous offer of free shipping of the second captain's annual anywhere in the world if you've been procrastinating over that one best get moving on it offer our ends tomorrow it's Friday February 25th enjoy the weekend there's uh, lots going on there we've touched on a, a couple of the, the key events but I think it's going to be good I think it's going to be good thanks Karen. thank you Owen
5: thank you Kenny thank you Karen. Thanks thank you
1: Owen you can follow us on Twitter at Second Captains and we'll talk to you on Monday
3: take care see take the-, as as I, as the second time it's gone up, they never go home they never go home
6: they
3: never go home they